We're starting a few minutes late. You can, you can blame Gail Harrison for that. <laughs> uh, no, can't blame anybody but myself. Uh, let's open up to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, and I think this passage is also in your notes. Talking about the belt of truth today. Start reading verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. God, we thank you that today we get to interact with truth. We get to receive revelation, insight from your word that's designed to help in the real places of life, in the needs that we face, in the struggles that we're involved in, in the conditions of this world and the enemy's tactics that are designed um, to harm us. God, we thank you for the protection that your word brings to us. And Lord, we want to we receive everything you've intended this to be. So be with us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I will leave this to all of your expertise, but I understand it's really important to be dressed for the right occasion. You, you, know, you don't want to show up to a funeral wearing what you would normally wear for doing gardening. Uh, you know, th there's proper attire depending on the setting. I don't follow all of that. Uh, my wife is the one who knows, okay, what's the difference between, you know, cocktail attire and formal attire, whatever shows up on the invitation, knowing what you're supposed to wear. Uh, we all sometimes, I, I imagine most of you have had some nightmare or some, some uh, worst case scenario of showing up in a setting, wearing the wrong thing. I can remember growing up and just having dreams about you show up in school in, in your PJs still. It's like, what happened? You know, I don't know. It's like the scenario that would never play out in real life, but it's, it's just was one of my worst fears. Uh, growing up. Uh, but this passage is, is one that's, that's helping us get dressed for the occasion, uh, to be armed for action. And, and, the, and the kind of clothing, the kind of armor that's being presented, it, it, it conveys a message that, that life is war, that we are under attack that these, these are the resources that we're going to need. And, and, and we interact with an enemy who doesn't play fair, he doesn't play nice, and so readiness is always required. And, and, and that's the emphasis in the, the, the particular piece of armor we're looking at today, and, and why I believe Paul uh, begins with this one. We're not taking these in order um, in, in the, the series here, but th this appears first in the, in the passage. It's the, the belt 
of truth. And, and uh, you know, belt, I'm always wearing a belt. My, my wife makes, makes fun of me because I just tend to put on, she's like, you're hanging out at your house wearing shorts and you have on a belt. Who does that? I don't know. I do that. Uh, but this isn't the kind of belt that uh, Paul has in mind here. You know, if you imagine a Roman soldier um, wearing a tunic under all of his armor, and the, and the loose ends of the, of the tunic, the kind of the skirt of the tunic, would be gathered up together and tied off. This is that language of girding up your loins that you see sometimes in Scripture, which is like, I don't, how do you do that? It sounds painful. Uh, well, this is how you do that. Uh, you, you, take, you take it up and you wrap it up tight, and then over all of that, this, this, this cloth, this belt would be wrapped around it to, to, to keep it all in place, and then the rest of the armor would go on top. But the assumption of that is there is vigorous activity that you're about to engage in, right? Uh, You're not going to be standing still. You are going to be on the move. And and everything everything needs to be held together securely. It needs to be fastened down for the battle that you are engaged in. And, And the thing that it needs to be secured by is the truth. Your, your preparedness, your sense of readiness for action is going to have everything to do with the truth. And, and that makes sense because you know, what we learn about the, the enemy's weapon of choice in Scripture is deception. He, he has certain tactics. We're introduced to the schemes of the devil here are the wiles of the devils, the, the, the King James translation for that. So he has a strategy and he has a methodology for how he's going to come against us. And from the very beginning, it was deception. You know, G- Jesus says he was a murderer from the beginning. And, and, and he also says that lying, it's like his native language. In, in John eight forty four says, when the devil lies... He speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But that, those lies, they have different manifestations. And back in, in the garden, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't necessarily beginning with just this blatant, outright lie. He comes with questions. He comes with half-truths. He comes with these loaded assumptions. You notice the, the, the conversation that he has with Eve begins with him asking, you know, is it the case that God has not allowed you to eat from any tree in this garden? You know what, God wants you to starve? He's not going to take care of you? He, he's not provided anything for you to enjoy? And so he, he, he makes God to be much more stingy than he actually is. He, he broadens the prohibition, not just from one tree to every tree of, of the garden. And, and, and Eve's response to that is, no, you know, he hasn't prohibited every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we may not eat, nor may we touch it. And you have the first instance of man-made religion and rules that get added in there. Well, where'd that come from? Well, well some doubt of God's generosity had been planted in her mind just in the question that Satan asked. It's not until then that he comes in with the outright lie and the first doctrine that ever gets denied in humanity is the doctrine of judgment. You will not surely die, for God knows, and then he puts a spin on 
God's motives from that. You get a sense of his deceptive tactics. Evil doesn't always come out looking like evil. In fact, it sounds courageous there. It sounds like you are, this is what you were made for. This This is flourishing for you personally. It looks plausible and inviting. But uh, here's just a principle of, of warfare, is that warfare, it, it typically involves deception. It involves concealment. It, it, devolves, it involves secrecy. Uh, one authority on war strategy, who people today still read, is a general named Sun Tzu, back from uh, 500 BC, the Chinese general. And he wrote, all warfare is based on deception. Hence, when we are able to attack, we must seem unable. When using our forces, we must appear inactive. When we are near, we must make the enemy believe we're far away. When far away, we must make him believe we are near. And you know, that, that makes sense. I mean, even just the, the, the practice of wearing camouflage. I mean, think about that. No, nobody's wearing this and then shouts out, I know I look like a bush, but I'm not really a bush. I'm a human being here. I'm about to attack you. You know, it's, deception is the means of warfare. But, but this is what's so striking about how God has called us to engage. Is that the truth is on our side. We're not here to conceal anything. We're not here to hide anything. We are here for the open declaration of the truth. And that is how we accomplish the victory. What is, what is the truth? You know, a principle for interpretation when you come across a certain word is to, is to first look, where else does that word show up in, in the particular book in the Bible that you're reading right now? Start there and then move outward. So, you know, if I, I wanted to know, what, what does Paul mean by the belt of truth? Well, I'm going to look elsewhere in the, the letter to the Ephesians and find, does that word show up anywhere else? Either the word truth or the adjective true. Uh, how does he talk about this? And then maybe I'd look outside of that to uh, um, Paul's other writings and then outside that to the rest of, of Scripture. It's just a, a helpful practice to have. And, and this word shows up in this letter. And here's the, the first time it shows up in chapter 1. Verse 13, I think this is the primary sense in which he understands truth. He says, In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So the, the, the truth, the word of truth is the gospel. And, that, and we're to arm ourselves with the, with the truth of the gospel. And I know you, you've seen this in your study f- so far. Each of these pieces of armor are, are connected in some way to the person and the work of, of Jesus Christ. If that's, you know, the breastplate of righteousness, if that's the helmet of salvation, if it's the shoes and the readiness of the gospel of, of peace. And so the, 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 the gospel is our, our, our weaponry. It's, it's our armory. Uh, in the spiritual battle that God has called us to engage. And, and, and specifically, th- think about the ways that the truth of the gospel um, is, is, a, is a form of security 
right? That's what the belt was, keeping us together, keeping us from being tripped up in the fight um, against the kinds of deception that we would encounter. The gospel reveals truth about God, about his goodness, about his righteousness, about his, his generosity toward us. And, and so often, that, that, that's, a, that's a place of temptation to doubt, like in Genesis 3, to doubt God's goodness, to doubt his provision. Uh, maybe to doubt it not, not in theory, but to, to doubt it personally because life circumstances have called that in, into question or areas of, of struggle or need have brought us to a place of, of wondering, is, is, is God even concerned about me? Is he attentive to my needs? And, 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 and these are the seeds of doubt that the enemy seeks to sow. But the, the gospel puts God's generosity, his mercy on clearly, clear display and, and demonstrates his love, demonstrates his kindness toward us. Uh, the gospel re reveals truth about ourselves. You know, the, the, the word devil, you know, that's one name for Satan. Another name is the word Satan, and that just means accuser. So he's, he's a deceiver, and he's an accuser. And, and how does the gospel help us with that? Well, we, we have justification by faith. We have a righteous standing before God. We, we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Uh, Ephesians 1.13, right? The gospel of our salvation. And so when he hurls accusation at us, when, when we are aware of our guilt, when we are in a place of feeling defeated because we, we're just being honest with our own sin, with, with areas of our character that um, are still in process of change and we're discouraged by how much of that is still hanging around from who we were before we were in, in, in Christ, we need the belt of truth. We, we need gospel truth about our identity, about how we belong in the family of God for the accusations that we, we face. Um, Paul says later on in Ephesians 4, I just love this statement. Verse 20 says, but that is not the way that you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. What's the truth? The truth is in Jesus. One of those amazing and ironic events of the life of Jesus was when he stood before Pontius Pilate under trial and he said, I I've come to bear witness to the truth. And you might remember what Pilate's question was back to him. What is, what is truth? Uh, if ever there was a question. And yet here, truth is standing right in front of him. Truth incarnate is before his face. So the question for us is, where, where do we go for truth? Where do we go for comfort in life? Where do we go for help, for understanding the conditions of life that we face, for, for, for seeking encouragement? 
for continuing in life because we have on offer today, we have alternative gospels that stream into our world, that come advertised, that, that, that get picked up and assimilated from the culture around us that, that train us to attach our hope into things of this world and of this life and its comforts. And, and we need to be discerning when these come our way. Paul, Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. And he says in 2 Corinthians eleven three, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Nancy DeMoss Wogamoth has a very helpful book. It's titled Lies Women Believe and the truth that sets them free. Toward the beginning of that book, she says, today as an older woman, I'm not talking about any ladies in here with that phrase, uh, I, st I still have to guard my mind to carefully choose the input I allow into my life and to reject that which promotes ungodly thinking. The world's deceptive way of thinking comes to us through so many avenues, television, magazines, movies, music, friends, and social media, to name a few. A steady diet of these influences will shape our view of what is valuable, beautiful, and important. Right? Every day we're being instructed what should have value, what should have weight in our lives, what should receive emphasis, time, attention, what should be a cause of concern or anxiety, right? She says, the, the, there are no harmless lies. We cannot expose ourselves to the world's false deceptive way of thinking and come out unscathed. Eve's first mistake was not eating the fruit. Her first mistake was listening to the serpent. The truth is in Jesus, which, which means we, we need to be attentive to him. We need to be listening to him. We need to be studying his word by his spirit. And uh, I'll be careful and not try to preach. Andy Thaxton's message uh, next time is going to be on the sword of the spirit. But we want to receive the ministry of God's word made known through his gospel. But, but truth is not just something that we're called to, to receive and, and to believe. It's something that we must display in our lives as well. Um, this picture that Paul draws on here, it, it, it doesn't originate in Ephesians 6. Uh, back in Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah is describing the Messiah who's to come. And, and, and here's how he, he talks about him. He says, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, and you can also translate that word truth, the belt of his loins. He's using the same kind of picture, the, the girding yourself up with truth, and he's saying that's how the Messiah comes dressed. You, you, will, you will recognize him by the truth that's around his waist and holds him securely. And so when, when, when Paul says, put on the belt of truth, he's, he's saying, dress like your Messiah. Put on the armor that your divine warrior wears. And that's how he phrases it in, in chapter 4. In verse 22, he says, to, to put on your new self. And, 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 and sometimes 
you know, just following out what exactly Paul means by that in, in, in context, you know, there's an, there's an old self individually, but, but there's also an old man that we are in association with, which is Adam, fallen Adam, and his nature, his instincts, his character. And so that, there's a personal dimension to that, and, and, and there's this headship, this union that we have with Adam, that, that we're no longer united to him. Our, 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 our ties have been severed. And so he's saying, don't, don't act like you're in Adam anymore. Don't, don't live like him. Put on the new man. Who's the new man? The new man is Jesus. His character, his trustworthiness, his honesty, his hunger for the truth. And so he says in Ephesians 4.22, you were taught to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, like, like putting on clothing, putting on armor, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. But, but notice the, the old self that we're told to put off, it, it comes with deceitful desires. And you know, pastorally, it, it, is, it is sobering the motivations and the reasonings that make sense to people in times of temptation. What, what their explanation for a, a, a course of action that um, the Bible prohibits. The Bible does not give you permission to do this. But, but what is personally convincing and the reasoning as to why this is taking place it, 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 it's, it seems it, it, like it fully makes sense to them because it, it conforms to their desires and to the shape of the culture around them. And this is what Paul has in mind here. He says that there, there are deceptive desires inside of all of us that will always seem to us personally to be plausible. And we, we need to learn how to discern that in ourselves. To discern the aspects of our old humanity that make us vulnerable. Because those are target areas for the enemy's temptations. In our feelings, our emotions, our expectations, our imaginations, our anxieties. It, it, it's so easy to to live inside of our own perspective and, and to think, oh, if I, if I feel something, it must be true. Now, the culture tells us that explicitly. We might not adopt that as a, as a phrase or as a saying, but that can still be, at the end of the day, what we're, what we're living out of. Our, our perceptions, our thoughts, our interpretation of the world around us and, and these deceitful desires that exist in, inside of us frame for us what we're looking to get out of life and what we will be pursuing. And so we're called to discern that and, and in its place put off those things and put on the reality of who Jesus is to display his character. And, and part of putting off in Ephesians means putting away all falsehood. Look in, in verse 25, chapter 4. 
Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Um, I think in, in, in the most clear sense of that, it, this, is, this means we embrace honesty over deception. Um, and so lying is out of place for the people of God. And it, in, in, in fact, in Ephesians, lies put us in partnership with the kingdom of darkness. That's how, that's how darkness and, and sin gains power in our, in, our, in our lives when we give place to lies. Uh, Nancy uh, DeMoss Wogelmuth says, when we are not honest with each other, we help the enemy out, acting as his agents, deceiving and destroying one another. And, and again, that wouldn't just apply to things that are conscious, intentional lies. This, this, would, this would speak to any attempts that we make to, to hide the truth, to, to withhold information from those who should have access to it, to present half-truths. And, and, and the reasoning that Paul gives is, for we are members of one another. I mean, imagine the disaster that would happen if, if your eyes didn't want to let your feet know about what they saw, you know? And it's like, I'm not telling, I'm not giving that message, I'm not sending that message to the brain, not letting my feet know that there's a cliff in front of us, you know? It, it, when, when, when they're members of the same body, they walk honestly with each other in order for there to be health. Um, this also speaks to living a life of integrity uh, rather than hypocrisy or, or duplicity, to live... Uh, with reality of who we are and not uh, being one way in one setting and a different way in other places of life. Sickler Ferguson says, while falsehood was characteristic of the old life, truth, integrity, and reality are to be the marks of disciples of Christ the truth. Pretense and hypocrisy have no place in the new community of grace. We, we don't want to be open to Satan's blackmail, um, to be overexposed to his ability to bring accusation into our lives of, of hypocrisy. We want to meet all those accusations in the gospel. We also want to be careful that we're living in such a way that's fully consistent with the truth that we claim to believe. Another instance of putting away falsehood means that we embrace sincerity rather than manipulation, rather than exaggeration, rather than twisting words and twisting circumstances and, and trying to appeal to aspects of people's flesh rather than walking openly in the truth. And here's how Paul puts that in 2 Corinthians 4 too. It says, but we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. We refuse to walk in cunning is that word that goes back to Genesis 3, the serpent. Refuse to walk in cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Um, sometimes these things can be hard to um, discern in ourselves, and sometimes we need the benefit of, of others. Um, you know, some, some of you who are, are married, maybe your, your husband will help you see that of, was it really like that? Or are you, are you exaggerating uh, those circumstances right now? Um, just want to be, be careful that we're, we're, we're not um, 
we're not distorting reality in, in times of conflict, in, 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 in situations that have us anxious or worked up. We, we, we want to be honest to the way things really are and uh, not attempting to win out of the powers of the flesh in the disputes and disagreements that we find ourselves in. Called to be a community of the truth. And, and finally, we put on the belt of truth by speaking the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. I don't know if this point's already been made in, in um, some of the presentations that have already happened, but every single one of those verbs that we read in Ephesians 6, stand, you know, so that you may be able to withstand. Take up the belt of truth. Take up this piece of armor. Every single one of those verbs are plural verbs. And so Paul doesn't just have in mind uh, what this is going to look like for us individually in our own walk, although that, that's essential. We, we need to be attending to these things personally. But he's ultimately, this, this is a letter that's written to a church. It, it's written to, to how these things are being walked out in a community. So as a church, as a community, you need to be secured in the truth. You need to be fastened down because as a community, there are, there are people that are going to be tripped up by the deception of this world. And so we're, we're called to take ownership of that and, and here specifically to, to speak the truth in love. People are disoriented. They, they become forgetful of what's true. They, they lose perspective in the trials of life. They, they become confused by the areas of life that are resistant to change. And so they, they become susceptible to the enemy's attempts to cause doubt and damage to faith. And so we speak truth. We speak up. We speak truth that, that's seasoned with wisdom that comes in moments of need, that becomes God's means of protection. And, and I think it's important for us to see this. We, we speak the, the truth that we've already encountered in Ephesians and, and not just advice. Part of being a community that speaks the truth is that we learn to, to tell the difference between those two. Um, advice can be helpful. Sometimes advice isn't being sought, and we need to distinguish, you know, when when our, our advice is being asked for and when it's not. But just when it comes for for you helping one another, and I think um, in addition to that, helping the younger generations that are coming behind you, because the the Lord has given you such a calling in in this church and in your families to speak into the lives of of younger people, to speak what is true. And, and we want to make sure that what, what, what that sounds like isn't primarily, well, how I did it was, or this is what always made sense to me, and, and it's only living in the categories of personal experience and, and advice. The truth needs life experience. It needs handles. It, it, it needs reality to it. It needs, it needs to come from a place of maturity. But we're ultimately pointing to people to the Word of God. We, we, you know, Paul says we, we preach not ourselves, but Christ crucified. And so distinguish uh, your advice and your thoughts 
from the truth of God's word, and it's ultimately going to be the truth of God's word um, applied to the, to the areas of need that's going to serve the people that you are speaking truth into their lives. Um, they need insight that's revealed by the Spirit and not just the natural mind. But we, we are to speak this in, in love. You know, not just, I'm being honest, sorry. You know, uh, it's not enough for it to just be true. Uh, it's not, you know, how could you believe that? That's ridiculous. You know, what are you, an idiot? It, uh, we're, we're to speak the truth, but we're to do that in, in, a, in a place that is marked by compassion, that has affection for people in need and, and for the, the places of weakness and confusion that they find their, themselves in. So we're, we're not shocked by confusion. We're, we're, we're not combative in even the deception that they might find themselves being influenced by. We, we are moving toward them, ultimately incarnating Christ who is the truth. We are his embodied presence through his spirit and his heart of love, applying truth in our community. And this is why we, we just need the Lord's help to do this well. Um, to grow in our knowledge of truth, to grow in a heart of love toward the, the, the people that God has placed in our lives and in our church, and to grow in the skill of speaking truth in a way that's timely, in a way that's well-received, in a way that supports us and ultimately protects us from the schemes of the enemy to bring us harm. And so I'm going to pray to that end, and then y'all can discuss this at your tables. God, we recognize, as Jesus says, that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And he is the one who will lead us into the truth. He will bring to remembrance everything that you have taught us and who will allow us to display the trustworthy and true character of Jesus. We, we long for these things in greater ways in our lives. And so we seek your help. And right now we, we, we seek your enabling, Lord, to... To be honest, to be honest with ourselves, or to consider what are ways that I've I've been vulnerable to the deceitful schemes, the deceptive cravings of my flesh. What are ways that I I have fallen susceptible to to not speaking the full truth in situations where I've wanted to get my way or wanted to score some point or wanted to fight for something that I felt like was mine and so I've, I've withheld information or I've not dealt openly here. And we want, we want help in, even now, sharing truth with one another or in, in a way that is your means of fastening us down and guarding us in the conflict and the battle that we face. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Always a joy being with you.
there are questions on the back of the sheet, I think? 